got to do it himself. Thomas, shake, crossover, step back. And DeBrosa, young, safe, and Washington wins it. Taking nobody home, picked off by Miller. Goes ahead, lanes on the other wing. He finds oh! Welcome back to another On The Line College Basketball Podcast episode. I'm joined, as always, by my host, Ben. Ben and I are going to recap the SEC Big 12 Challenge. We're going to take a look at what went right, what went wrong in the LSU game. Um, Hint, there's a lot more wrong than right. And we're also going to answer some questions on Twitter. Uh, You know, everyone, I asked uh, the Twitter masses, you know, what what do you want to know about the game? What do you want to know about college basketball right now? And uh, a lot of great questions out there, a lot of great insight. So we're going to get into that. Uh, But first, we got to recap the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Uh, Before we do that, Ben, do you have anything to tell the listeners? Um, I was at the LSU game against Ole Miss. It was a very angsty crowd. The crowd was not happy at all with the, the effort the team was putting out there. And uh, it was a weird game to go to, for sure. Uh, I'm very sorry you had to witness that. And, you know, my, my deepest condolences. So Saturday was the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Ben and I did a little challenge um, ourselves where we did a confidence style pick them, pick teams based off the confidence you get points. Not that hard to understand. I took the I took the W against Ben, uh, 36-33. Uh, the key victories for me were definitely Kentucky and Texas Tech. Those were those were solid victories. Um, and then the SEC took the challenge themselves. Uh, Kentucky and Alabama kind of swung that for them. I, I I mean, that Kentucky performance was pretty damn impressive, and I think Kentucky's staring at that two line as of now. I agree. I have them on the two line. Uh, it was very impressive. I thought, I mean, Alabama had a great game too, and then they get blown out by Auburn the next game. I mean, it's just constantly up and down for them. So I assume the next game they'll play really well and win. Yep. That's, that's just about how it, how it's been. So well, let's, let's get into uh, that, that debacle that took place Tuesday night in the Pete Maravich assembly center. Uh, LSU falls again, uh, seems to be a theme. They're now four and five in conference play, 16 and six overall. And this is probably the worst loss they've had. This is, I mean, this, this is the low point of the season. I, I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. You, you fall behind a game against Ole Miss 43 to 19. 
that's it, it doesn't get much lower than that, especially at home. So they lose 76 72, but uh, it it really shouldn't have been that close because Deshaun Ruffin got hurt. So, yeah, it was an extremely sleepy start. You would have thought it was a 11 a.m. game by the way they started. No one came out with any energy on the floor. Tari started, didn't really give him much energy. Brandon Murray looked confused at times out there by far the worst game he's had in LSU Jersey you know we praise him constantly for being wise upon his years for having the composure of a senior guard and it was just completely the opposite the other night he dribbled the ball off his foot like three or four times out of bounds just weird stuff happening like that losing their man on defense and um, give credit to Ole Miss that they played really really well they shot the ball out of this world even whenever LSU picked up, at some point in the first half, LSU did pick up the defense and was actually contesting the shooters, and they still could not miss. Now, you can't let them get in a rhythm to start the game like that, but you have to give them credit. They played really good offensive basketball. Um, whenever Ruffin left, it got a little choppier for them, but they found a way. They made a bunch of free throws down the stretch, and they locked it up. You know, LSU really never gave up, but you got to give them credit. I mean, that's one thing about this team. They will never stop fighting. But you can't dig yourself that big of a hole to start the game. I don't care who you're playing. Couldn't agree more. Um, we'll get into kind of what I think happens in a lot of these games and and why I think sometimes LSU has games like this where a team just can't miss from that side and you think, okay, th- this is supposed to be a great defensive team. Their MO is built on defense, and why are they just getting – the lights rain from them as Ole Miss of all teams is, is just shooting an arm all over the place at a, a crazy efficient clip. I think at one point they were like, what, shooting 65% and they had shot at 15 shots or so. I mean, it was, it was absolutely ridiculous, but that there's some, there's some defensive uh, X's and O's that goes into it. And I'll, I'm going to kind of let you know what I think and why I hypothesize LSU has this problem. But um, yeah, let's let's just get into a brief recap of the game, and then we're gonna get to some questions. Uh, LSU started the game terribly, and the <laughs> offense was not working at all. And man, Ole Miss was hitting a lot of three pointers. They were even hitting tough shots at the end of the shot clock. So whenever we would play really good defense, the whole shot clock bailing themselves out. They got off to a, what a forty-one to nineteen lead, I believe. Yeah, it, it was the classic. It's the classic. LSU start in the first four minutes. It, if LSU gets to seven points at the four minute TV timeout, I would consider that the biggest win of all time. Um, I, I think everyone knows this, but if you don't know this, college basketball is broken off into four minute timeouts, and it's very easy to kind of like look at games in a flow of the four minute stretches. So a lot of times coaches preach, you got to win the fours. So if you ever hear Ben or Ben or I saying, you know, four minute stretches or why four minute stretches are so important. This is why. Um, so, but yeah, every four minute, every opening four minute stretch of the LSU season this year has pretty much just been the same two, two, four, four, just an absolute rock fight. And then it's what happens in that next four minutes or that middle eight. That's usually where LSU falls behind. I mean, pretty much every game has played the same where LSU, they start the game incredibly even, just an absolute rock fight. 
and then they either fall behind by a lot in that middle eight and then try to get, spend the whole game catching up or they actually do something in the middle eight and, you know, get a lead for once. This yeah. was not one of those games. Yeah, and this just happened to coincide with the team just unconscious from the three-point line. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if they weren't guarded, this is incredible. I think they went seven and nine from three in the first half. Deshaun Ruffin is a really great player. You know, he's the first ever McDonald's All-American to go to Ole Miss at a high school, but he had been really struggling shooting the ball this season. You know, he's been really good off the dribble, blowing by guys, getting mismatches, and he's extremely quick. But he had been really struggling shooting the ball. And, man, he could not miss in this basketball game. I don't know what it was. Even when they were on him, man, he could not miss. And uh, it was sad to see him go down. Hopefully he's okay. It looked like a pretty nasty knee injury, to be honest. He tried to come back out there a couple times, walk around on the bench. Uh, he had the electronic stimulus thing on his knee. Just just didn't look good at all. And so hopefully he's okay. But yeah, I mean, you spend the whole game trying to catch up, and then you get to the end of the game, it's close, and you're exhausted. And you can't make the plays. You can't make the mental plays. You have to win that game. And the biggest one that stands out is the loose ball at half court with about a minute left down two, and you have three guys on top of it, uh, and you throw it away. I mean, all you had to do was hold the basketball. Brandon Murray had the basketball on the floor. All you had to do was hold it or call a timeout. And you were going to have the ball with the full shot clock down two and a great chance to tie the game. Tries to throw it away off the floor and never try to pass the ball while you're on your butt. And it goes the other way. They get an easy layup. And that was pretty much it. Ole Miss made, oh, give them credit. They made all their clutch free throws down the stretch. Yeah. Ole Miss was 23 of 31 from the line. Um, and I always say games in college basketball are won at the free throw line. I mean, in college basketball, you can essentially every single game go to the box score if it's a close game and look at who made their free throws. And most of the time, the team that made their free throws is going to win the game. Yeah, I want to say Nicier Brooks is a 55% free throw shooter, and he made all four down the stretch that he had. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of, of course he did. Of course he did. <laughs> so, um, I mean, the only other thing I think we need to mention is Xavier Pinson did play 16 minutes. And, man, it was it was hard to watch. I mean, he's got no explosion off the knee. He's got no burst. Couldn't really jump. He had a guy boxed out in the ball game right to him. He couldn't get off his feet off the floor. I mean, he couldn't bend his knees and jump off the floor to get the ball. That was pretty bad. <laughs> he, he, he reminded me of me out there. He just he just had no mobility. I felt awful for him. I need to put him in the cryo chamber for about two more weeks. I mean, he's he, just not he even just close not, to, to be able to contribute. The only way I would close. put him on the floor is if we needed a three at the end. He could just stand in the corner and catch and shoot. That would be the only way I'd put him on the floor. I, I feel I feel awful for the kid because I you know he wants to be out there. He's a senior. He he. You know, I mean, this is probably his last chance to really like play professionally in America, like he he's Xavier Penson's going to have an awesome basketball career. Like he's going to make a living for himself playing basketball, but you know, I mean, he's a senior. He obviously wants to be out there, but I just, no, he, he can't like, he can't play right now and it sucks. It's hard to watch. And, you know, I felt really bad for him because the few times where he did make a great pass, 
you know, it was dropped or it was fumbled or, you know, Efton Reed's not catching the ball, which is kind of the story. But then it's like Brandon Murray is not catching it. Alex Fudge isn't catching it. You're like, okay, Uh, that was that's just kind of how we started. The worst part was, you know, he gets hurt at the end of the Tennessee game. He played incredible in that basketball game. And then the game before that was the Kentucky game. And he also dominated both games offensively. You know, it was LSU's best offense was getting him isolated on a big and him dribble driving or step back and hit a three. And LSU scored 75 plus, I believe, in both of those games. Two of our best offensive games all year against good defensive teams. And ever since then, it's gone downhill. And I mean, it's pretty obvious that he was the driving force in those games. I mean, by far, as good as Tari Eason is, as good as Darius Days is, that's our best offense was Xavier on a mismatch, on a big guy, dictating the floor, taking him off the dribble, dishing, pulling back for three. And he just can't do that right now. He even had big guys on him last night. He can't even get around the corner and turn the corner anymore. Like, it's it's that bad, man. I mean, they got Vanderbilt, A&M, Mississippi State, Georgia, South Carolina coming up. I really don't want to see him play in any of those games unless he's – 130 percent yeah i don't i i really so they don't the next the next few games i mean if you're not if you're not stacking w's here you're kind of you're kind of missing the opportunity you got vanderbilt texas a&m mississippi state georgia south carolina and then wednesday february 23rd you go to kentucky I would honestly say sit him out until you play Kentucky. I would too. What today's the third and that's 20 days. Yeah. I think like he needs every single one of them. I mean, he's he, really far away from being able to contribute. He's not fucking ready, dude. He's just, he's not even close to being ready. Or if you want to even wait until Saturday, the 26th and let him play against his former team, Missouri, I, He's it sucks. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not very hopeful that he's even going to be okay, even to start the tournament. I mean, what, like, what the, what I don't know how much healing is going to happen in that knee between now and then. What I just don't understand is like, what, what are they seeing in practice or like, what are they seeing in his rehab that they even would put him out there like that? All right, we're going to transition to some Twitter questions. We put out a tweet you know just asking for some questions some different things people want to know um most of the questions are going to be related to lsu basketball so let's get into them the first question comes from colin and his question is can you talk about how x is a complete liability when he's not fully healthy and should be playing zero minutes until he is oh and eric Gaines' game is evolving so first off completely agree uh i don't think I don't think anyone with, with eyes right now is looking at Penson and saying he should be on the court. Um, it it's it's really hard to watch. You know, we kind of talked about that earlier when we're doing the recap. So yeah, I, I really wouldn't play him until at least late February, even maybe early March. Um, I would kind of have that Missouri and the in the Kentucky game circled as possible returns for him, but he's not even close to being ready. And then in terms of Eric Gaines. Yeah, I completely agree. Gaines' game is evolving. I've been very critical of Gaines in the past, sometimes on the pod, most of the time just to you, Ben. But yeah, his his game is definitely evolving. I've been really impressed with his ability to take it to the hole. He's really the only one that can kind of get downhill from the three-point line. We don't 
Tari can get downhill, but it's more of when he's catching the ball in the high post and is able to get down. But for the most part, he's kind of the only guy, you know, Murray a little bit, but we don't really have many guys who can get downhill like we have in the past. And yeah, Gaines is definitely one of those. And the guy's an absolute freak and it shows defensively. I mean, that block that he had at the end of, uh, what was that, A&M? Yeah, yeah the bl- block of the A&M game, that was unbelievable. He's always, he's always has his hands in the passing lane. He's always you know, just ripping guys like, you know, it's, he doesn't get the Tremont water steals. I'll put it like that. And that's not a slight slight to Tremont, but they're not cheap steals by any, any stretch of the imagination. He'll just go up to someone and he'll just rip them clean. So yeah, Gaines is, Gaines is definitely stepping up. And I mean, he's someone that, that I would imagine is going to stay all four years. I, I can't really see him leaving after his junior or sophomore year. So he's probably, he's probably in it for all four years unless, his academics are just kind of a problem and he's kind of forced to leave for the draft, but I don't think he's that kind of kid. So yeah, I I mean, he's going to be by the end of it, he's going to be like all sec defense, potentially an all sec kind of player. So I'm really excited for the future for him. Yeah. And I think pretty obviously the next step for his game to continue is his shooting from the outside. You know, I wouldn't say it's a bad stroke, but, He's, he got the, really... he's got the Javante smart stroke where it looks like yeah. he doesn't even try. His his feet are a little slanted to the yeah, left. Yeah, I was going to say he doesn't really have a solid stance whenever he shoots. And most of the time, he really doesn't get his feet under him either. And that's that's going to be the next progression because guys are really slacking off on him, not really running him off the three-point line. And, man, once they have to run him off the three-point line, he's going to go right by him every single time. He's too quick. Uh, Just from catching and standing and taking off the explosion, he's way too quick for someone to – come and close out and stay with him. And uh, I think he's been doing better as the games go along. You know, last game, he kind of had to be Eric Gaines. He had to be that dude. He had to keep the game fast, keep the game hectic, because they had to come back from a big big deficit. So it was kind of his game he played into, and he really had to do that. But we have seen some games this season where they needed a calming presence with the basketball. And you know, he still has a way to go with that. All right. Uh, we go to our next question from Brennan thoughts on what has gone wrong with defense, whether it be injuries, effort, or lack of execution. Um, to, yes, it is. It's all of those things. Uh, if I were to do a little blame by, I would say it's probably like 20% injuries. I think losing days for the period you did kind of hurt. Also Tari Tari's really the only player that actually gets steals and like turns it into points. It feels like he's the only one where as many turnovers and steals as LSU gets, it's like Tari is really the only one that he'll just pick a pass off and he'll go dunk. And, you know, every time he does, it's huge momentum. So not having him able to do that definitely affected us defensively. I would say after that, probably it's, it's 50% effort after that and then i'd say 30 percent execution and and the execution is kind of due to a lack of effort uh you know if you watch lsu next time you watch lsu if you watch them saturday they will always help baseline side and what i mean by that is if the ball's on the left side and someone either drives with their left or the ball is thrown into the post they will bring the far right corner that defender who is guarding that person in this corner, they will bring him over and that is help side. What happens though is far too often the ball gets switched to the other side 
and we have to rely on our athletes to show effort and just like get a great closeout, which we usually do because we recruit for that. That's 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 how Will Wade plays. Will Wade's going to recruit to his defensive style, and that's what he does. But you have also seen Fudge, Wilkinson, Gaines struggle on closeouts this year. You know, whether it's fouling a three-point shooter, uh, fouling a, a terrible long two when you actually are playing good defense. So I'd say I'd say it's 30% lack of execution just due to the fact of the way they play and the way they help defensively. I think last game is pretty obviously effort. Oh yeah. Uh, a team that you know, not a big scoring team. They should have held them down easily. But some of these games, I mean, I th- think you have to realize LSU has been playing great defense all year. Their system that they run on defense is incredibly hard to run great defense. Like you have to have so much communication, so much uh, flexibility in your game to be able to guard big guys and small guys and not get, you know, not get effed. And I thought one of the things that we could say good about Efton this year is he's done a pretty good job when he's got switched on small guys by, you know, not getting blown by instantly or not fouling them as they're trying to roll by him. You know, he's done a pretty good job. The only time I really remember him getting abused was the uh, Liberty game where Darius McGee pulled him out and did some things to him. But, you know, it's a really hard system to run. And whenever a mistake happens, it really kills you. So, you know, I, th- I think they've been doing a really good job all year, even lately. You know, I think the teams have just been uh, shooting a little bit better. I mean, as we get along in the season, I mean, these teams are better and they shoot better than the teams we've been playing early in the season. But I think if you see breakdowns, it's mostly the communication because this is so hard to run. You have to have so much communication. Mean, all five players probably have to communicate five or six times every single possession. And it's a lot of cohesiveness together and so whenever it whenever it breaks down it looks bad because there's usually someone wide open but you know for the most part i've been thinking they're doing really well the last game was no communication no effort and see how badly it goes also the other part of it is i mean lsu completely gives up the three they're completely willing to give up the three which is fine if they're showing effort and closing out because the way they play help rotation defense However, when you play a team like Ole Miss, Ole Miss doesn't have the caliber of players that LSU does. So those kids, when they catch the ball, they are entirely catching the ball ready to shoot. Like there is no thought of, I'm going to get this close out and I'm going to drive by him. They're catching the ball to shoot. So when you're playing uh, a Kentucky or a Tennessee or an Auburn, sometimes those kids are going to catch the ball looking to head fake and then drive. Ole Miss was entirely catching the ball to shoot. Like there was no hesitation. And when you don't have that hesitation, you're going to shoot like 65% in the first half from three. And when that happens, you LSU digs themselves into a huge hole. And then they try to get out of it with just horrible offense. And really the only way they get out of it is they just raise the intensity and they raise the effort. I mean, you saw it when they were down, like, what was it? 40, 41, 43, 19. And when they're down 43-19, you just see the effort raised. And like that's how they have to generate offense. And that is so hard to bring. It's like, it's just I don't, I don't want to make this a Louisiana sports show, but it's just the easiest to compare them to the Saints this year. Like, if if you have no offense, your defense has to be perfect. And when your defense isn't perfect, you kind of look like you got exposed. And so that's I think that's kind of what's been happening to LSU these last few few games. On to the next question, 
we got uh my boy Elzy, uh private punches pilot. Uh Elzy was uh the first black punches pilot in St. Paul's uh school history. Made a little made a little history, Black History Month. Gotta give a shout out to Elzy. But uh Elzy's comment is that this is just a statement, but I hate the amount of dumb fouls we commit. Foul trouble always kills us. It's frustrating because we're such a good defensive team. We don't need a foul. Rant over. A thousand percent agree with this, Elzy. Um I can't, I can't stress how stupid some of these fouls that LSU commits are. I mean, most of them, I think, are whenever the opposite team, whenever we miss a shot and the opposing team gets a rebound, we have this tendency to still fight for the rebound even after it's over. And I think that's a lot of the frustrating fouls that Efton in particular has been picking up. You know, most picks of, them up too. Yeah, they. I mean, they really all do. It's fighting for the basketball after the rebound's already been cleared. Like, you just need to go back and set up. You have such a good defense. And we've talked about this. I mean, you have to stop doing the stupid fouls and stop doing turnovers because it hurts your best quality as a team, which is getting back, setting up your defense and being really stingy back there. So, yeah, I agree. And I think if they could just cut out the after the rebound clears fouls, I think that would help a lot. I mean, they're, the two, they're the, not going to they're not going to stop reaching on their half court defense because that's part yeah. of their game. And they're going to do that and they're going to commit fouls, but they're also going to get turnovers. And Will Wade's perfectly OK with that. And I think as a fan, you should be, too, because that's their style of play. But you're right. The 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 fouls 90 feet away from the basket. Yeah. Doing nothing. I'll put it this way. I expect LSU to have a high foul rate. I expect LSU to have a high free throw rate defensively, which means that's how frequently they're getting the other teams getting to the line. I expect them to get commit fouls. I expect them to get into the bonus. I expect them to get into the double bonus. But you are heightening and like pouring gasoline on that situation when you're fouling 94 fruit from the basket after someone rebounds and you just want to poke at the ball and then you poke his hand or you poke his eye and now they, they get a foul. And you're heightening that when, you know, I just have to, it immediately comes to my mind from Tuesday when Eric Gaines is playing unbelievable on ball defense, like just unbelievable. He forces the guy to the short corner. He's got nowhere to go and he just pump fakes it and Gaines jumps for just for no reason. Like we, I think that's the part that kills Elsie and it kills me. They are way too good of a defensive team to jump in the air. Like, you're you're on his ass. There's no reason to jump. Jump, jump when he's like finally in the air if if you want, but don't don't go for the head fakes anymore. And then the last frustrating foul that we get at least two or three a game is the moving screens. And I mean we've talked about that. It's kind of 50-50. Guards have to do better, bigs have to do better. It's it's kind of embarrassing. Like I've never seen so many moving screens. Like you can kind of expect one a game, but LSU gets two or three a game, and it's it's ridiculous. The charges charges are probably college basketball, but on to a kind of kind of a, a just a college basketball question in in general, and it's for our bracketology expert Ben. Uh, why do you guys, Ben specifically, have Houston on the four line? Would think committee takes into account they were depleted, as can be for one of their losses. Uh, I think he's completely spot on with the depletion, but the problem is, I mean, they're making, they're missing Sasser, their point guard, who's their best player. And I think that is why I put them on the forward line because their best player will not be playing the rest of the season. That always factors into the committee's rankings as to how good of a team you are. 
The other problem is they do not have a quadrant one win the entire season. They only have two losses on their schedule. Can you explain to uh, the listeners at home what a quad one win is, please? Quadrant one win is a home win over a top 50 team, a neutral court win over a top 75 team, or an away win over a top 100 team. They have none of those. Their uh, best win is probably over Oregon on a neutral site or a home win over Oklahoma State. And um, neither of those really jump out to me. They don't have any bad losses or two losses or both quadrant one losses. And uh, it was on the road at Alabama. And then they lost They lost in New, uh, to Wisconsin in the Jimmy V uh, Maui Classic. I so they have, yeah, they have good they losses, but good losses don't count for anything. I mean, you're looking at their schedule, Virginia, Butler, Hofstra, Wichita State. I mean, none of these teams really jumping out. I think UCF can end up climbing up to where they could maybe be a quadrant one win at the end of the season. But And then looking at the rest of their schedule, I'm not sure that any of these teams – end up being a quadrant one. So they could go the whole season without a quadrant one win. And that's why I have them so low. I do think they'll rise by the end of the season because I don't, they might not lose the rest, another game the rest of the season. And some of the teams above them will lose. But yeah, that's why I had them on the four line. Combination of Sasser's not going to play the rest of the season and then just not enough quality wins. Agreed. To me, what what is kind of keeping them down this year more so than years in the past is the American Conference is really bad. Like it's it's not it's not awful. But for what it should be this year, especially with what we kind of thought we were getting from Memphis, it should be a lot better. And, you know, Wichita State's kind of on the on the downturn after uh, Greg Marshall went full Bobby Knight on players. So I think I think that that plays a factor is that the AAC is not it's not like that seventh, eighth conference that it, that it usually is. So that's that's definitely playing a role to it. And, and like you said, Sasser being out for the year, you have to take that into account. The one thing I would add, though, is I think the NCA kind of feels bad for Kelvin Sampson because he got a raw deal at Indiana. Like He's one of the only coaches to actually do something, and it wasn't even that bad of a thing, and he got popped. So I do think he gets the benefit of the doubt. And also the committee, they're human, and whether they – are going to admit it or not, they are going to think of last year when they are seeding Houston, whether when they're seeding UCLA, when they're seeding Baylor, Gonzaga, like they're just, they're going to think about it. So I actually have Houston as a, as a three right now. I could see them easily being a two. And from Brett, can you give a diagnosis of Efton Reed's game? And I asked him to clarify, uh, you know, whether he means his game overall or his game against, Ole Miss, and uh, he said his game overall, what his strengths and what he needs to do to help the team. And I actually really like that he add, what does he need to do to help the team? Because everyone at this point has kind of bashed Shepton Reed at one point when you're watching LSU basketball. But for the most part, none of us really say, like, what are our expectations of him? So, Ben, I'll, I'll toss that to you. What are your expectations of Efton Reed? What were your expectations of him going into the year? And, you know, what would be your expectations for him going forward? And, like, what would you hope he could do? 
I'd also like to echo what, you know, Brett clarified because he's not looking just for someone to bash him. You know, he's asking what his strengths are and basically what his strengths can play to to actually still help this team because he can absolutely still help this team. I mean, there's no way he should be sitting on the bench the whole game. There are things in his game he can do. Now, coming into the season, I was expecting him to be a lot more physical just because of his height and be able to rebound better and be able to defend the rim a lot better. But that's obviously, I mean, we've seen through what, what are we at 20 something games now? That's not his game. So I think I went over this in the last episode, I believe, but I think one of the things he can really still help this team do is kind of being the swing man at the top. So that's catching a pass at the three point line or the elbow and being the handoff man or being, you know, a fake handoff pass to the corner guy. Cause I think we've talked about this. He does a pretty good vision and he really doesn't make that many bad passes. All his turnovers are coming from him dribbling the ball. And there's been too many guys around and he's not really good with wall pressure on him. But I think he can really be a good, you know, swing guy at the top, you know, holding the ball over the defense, looking at the floor and doing some dribble handoffs and crashing off of those or addition to the corner whenever guys leave their man. And I think that's how he can still help this team. I mean, he could always rebound. I mean, this team needs rebounding. He could always get in there, put his nose down and rebound, but I just don't think that's kind of player he is right now. So I'd like to see him utilize that more as a swing man. And I would like to stop the designed back downs, man. I just, I don't know what the point of those is at this point. It's, it's resulting in more turnovers than it is scoring opportunities. Yeah. That, that was something that was working against Liberty and Belmont and Lipscomb. It's, it's not working in the SEC. Enough of the back to the basket play. That's something he can just work out, work out in the offseason, and hopefully he gets better. In terms of his strengths, I would say, you know, I, I do think he has good vision. I think he's a good passer. I just sometimes think his processing's a little too late. Like he sees it, but he processes it too late or he lets the double get to him. In terms of his other streams, I do think he's got decent touch around the basket. Like it's it's hard to make the hook shots that he does. He can use both hands. He's seven foot, can use both hands in the paint with touch. So right there, you're already looking at at his strengths. He can step out and, and shoot decently and he can, you know, make free throws. What I would like to see him work on with his shot this offseason or kind of just over the course of the season is is getting more arc on it. And I understand that telling a seven-footer you need more arc on the ball when they're releasing it and their hands are essentially at the rim is a little, you know, like, okay. Uh, but, yeah, he, he, could, he could put a little arc on the, on the ball. Sometimes his shot comes off a little flat. In terms of my expectations for him, uh, I mean, I would be thrilled if he could just give us, like, six, seven points and, like, five rebounds. I would also want, you know, LSU's strength and LSU's M.O., since the Will Wade era has pretty much begun has always been offensive rebounds. And, you know, as I call like garbage baskets, muck, mucking and up muck baskets, but we don't really have that this year. Unfortunately, like Tari's Tari, a little days, definitely. Um, but Efton, absolutely not. So what I would want to see from Efton maybe is just tip the ball out, dude. Like I, like I, I know we want him to grab it with two hands, but he has shown time in and time out. He cannot grab the ball off two hands strong enough. Like, I get it. We all want him to grab the ball off two hands, keep it high, go right back up. But in certain situations, just tap it out. Try to give the team an extra, extra possession if you can't grab it, like, 
you know, with, with control because it's, he just grabs the ball and loses it too often. But no, I, I think, I think Efton's someone where he's going to be like, he's going to be like Skylar Mays as, as was as a freshman. Skylar Mays as a freshman, if, if you don't remember, was, was pretty, I don't want to say bad, but he couldn't finish. Like there was a lot of flaws in Skylar Mays' game and everyone kind of didn't like him. Then slowly over the course of a year, two years, then three years, Skylar Mays became one of our better players. And everyone was like, oh yeah, remember when Skylar Mays, you know, was kind of struggling as a freshman. I hope, and I kind of hypothesize that maybe that's what we get out of Efton for a year or two. Yeah, I think the the main problem with Skylar Mays freshman year was the uh, the coaching situation, but I agree with that. I mean, as time developed, he had added more skills to his game, added a lot more strength, became a strong player towards the end of his career. And um, that's the first step for Afton over the offseason is just gave him some strength because he does have good post moves. But the problem is right now, whenever he backs someone down, he's getting no separation when he does the little bump. (laughs) So if he could get enough strength to where he does, you know, the one dribble bump into the guy and just get that little bit of space where he can get off his hook shot. You know, his hook shots already good. He just needs needs the space for it. And so I I don't think he's that far from being a good player. I really don't. I, I entirely agree. Well, we go to Hart Cam for a plethora of questions, as always. Uh, thanks for the support, Cam. Um, so thoughts on how to overcome foul trouble. How much blame is inexperienced? How much blame is on Wade? Provide stats comparing to the SEC. Okay. I would say thoughts on how to overcome foul trouble. I mean, we kind of mentioned it when we were talking about LZ's comment. Stay on your feet. Don't foul 94 feet from the basket. The way they play defense, they are going to commit some aggressive fouls. They're always going to have more fouls than the other team, unless they're playing another team that plays similar to them. And there's really no one else in the SEC that really plays with their intensity throughout the entire game on defense. So most of these SEC games, we will be fouling more than the other team. So, yeah, just cut out the stupid fouls, and we will still have a lot of fouls, but we'll be dealing with a lot less uh, bonus and double bonus free throws by the other team. Yeah. And in terms of our fouls compared to other teams, so this is conference-only defense. The free throw rate, Ole Miss is actually first. So Ole Miss fouls, Ole Miss, Ole Miss sends the team to the free throw line the least at 22%. That's very good. LSU is 48.8. Now, I don't know if that's percentages. I don't think – I think this is just rate. So I need to go into the like what that means more. But – that's a staunch difference. So LSU is towards the bottom. They're actually at 47.1. I'm sorry. South Carolina is actually dead last. They are 48.8. But so they're sending people to the line pretty frequently. Um, and we see Alabama right behind them. And uh, I mean, we noticed earlier in the year, we're looking at the players with the most fouls per 40 minutes that uh, Afton was in dead last, but Alabama had four of the five next players on that list. So Alabama is doing a bunch of the same things, but it's really easier to cover up. I think whenever you shoot the ball really well and you're able to kind of outscore them in some of these games. But I mean, as you can see, Alabama has been dropping some of these games for some of the same reasons. They're having some stupid fouls. They're struggling to guard the rim without fouling. And so there's there's other teams dealing with this. It's not like, I mean, it's easy to watch LSU every week and be like, wow, there can't be another team in the country who's dealing with this, you know? But, 
there is there's there's a way to cut down on them where you're still gonna be fouling a lot but i think the other thing is you have to be able to even it up i mean you have to be able to effectively drive to the basket and draw fouls and you know will brought in a nba guy on how to drive to the basket and finish and how to draw contact this past week so you know maybe they're making steps in the right direction to fix that but the first step is you have to be aggressive going to the rim. You know, Tari's aggressive going to the rim. I mean, days, most days is, but I think some of the guards, you know, Brandon Murray's really showing it over the course this year more and more. He's really stepping up to the plate and trying to get to the rim more and more. So hopefully throughout the season, we'll see other guys step up and really get aggressive towards the rim. Yeah. And in terms of fouls per 40 minutes, Efton is dead last in the SEC with 6.76 fouls per 40 minutes. Uh, and that's but, why but he Bama, doesn't Bama get to 25 has, minutes in most games. Exactly. Bama has Gurley right behind him in second to last, Bidiaco at 87, third to last, and then they have Darius Miles at 84. Also, yeah, so three uh, of their forwards. Yeah, so also Mawani's at 83 with 4.85 fouls per 40 minutes so yeah i mean and i, I think tari's tar, tari's at 69th nice uh at 3.84 fouls per but if, you, if you scroll up there i mean on the other end of this we're looking at brandon murray who does an impeccable job and earlier this season he was up mm-hmm. towards the top three in this and if, i mean he's only commanding two committing 2.38 right. fouls for 40 minutes right. with the amount of defense he plays. And also he yeah. usually plays the top of our defense. So he's almost yeah. always on the ball handler while the ball's at the top. It's very impressive. He also plays the tip of the press. It's a very impressive stat from Brandon. You know, he's playing really, really clean defense. And that's why I tend to believe him more than others whenever he commits a foul and he's, you know, complaining about it because he is really good at playing clean defense and standing in front of the guy, and he's been getting a lot of fouls this season. Where they've been going hip to hip, which has kind of annoyed me because that's a good to, good position to be in as a defender, and really shouldn't get a foul called there if the guy runs into you hip to hip. But um, you know he's he's someone who's doing a great job actually not fouling on this team. Yeah, and when you kind of look at the other guys who are around him, they're not they're not all world defenders. Like at twenty two is Javon Quinterly. Javon Quinterly is is not half the defender that Brandon Murray is. Uh, number one's Kellen Grady, and Kellen Grady is not tracking ball handlers. He's not going around screens. He's usually sitting on the wing, kind of keeping his distance from the ball, kind of tracking the guy who's trying to find a shot. And so Brandon Murray, I mean, I'm looking at this top 20. Brandon Murray and Ty Ty Washington stand out to me as guys who really That's, are on the ball most of the time and really playing intense defense and not fouling. Yeah. I'd also say uh, Audis Tony is pretty, he's a pretty mm-hmm. solid defender too. So him, him being as high is, is impressive as well. But on to Cam's next question. Um, how much blame is on Wade? I, I, I can't, I can't really give him too much blame. Like I, I, I don't think he's telling his defenders to, to jump on three pointers. I, I hope he's not. So I'm not I'm not really gonna put too much on him. Um, I mean he recruits for for athletic players, especially athletic long players, because that's that's kind of like his defensive strategy. So I can't it, I, I kind of take the good and the bad with like the way he plays his defense. So I, I'm not gonna put maybe like two five percent, not much. I mean, if you want to put blame away for anything, it's the system as a whole. But 
the system as a like whole is system. a reason why they're such <laughs> like, good as a defense. So if you want them to switch that, I mean, blame it all on yeah. Wade. But I think he's drawn up a really good system for this yeah. set of players to excel in defensively. I think it's really just cutting out the nonsensical fouls. Yeah, and I was I was thinking about this the other day, Ben. We're if you're in Louisiana, you kind of have to recruit to your demographic, and you have to recruit to the strength that like you're you're getting there's not a lot of great shooters in louisiana like we don't have anyone like we've you know remember matt Darenbecker? he was a great shooter from country day didn't do shit for us i promise you you don't remember matt Darenbecker. you know you know who else was a good shooter shout out st paul's legend parker edwards love parker but there's a reason he doesn't play like we're in the sec we're playing against the best athletes in in college basketball we have to recruit to our to our region like we have to recruit georgia we have to recruit texas we have to recruit louisiana mississippi and florida yeah and like we're gonna get freak athletes so i i kind of rather have wade running a press trapping heavy rotating system that he does it's forcing a lot of turnovers than have him like running the princeton offense like i just i i i'm i'm more of a believer in like you recruit to the strengths that that you're gonna you know, have in your States. So I, I have no problem with like the, the program that he is. Cause that's, that's exactly how I would recruit. And that's exactly the kind of system I would run. I mean, I would point to last year as a completely different defensive scheme. We certainly did not foul as much, but we let the other team score a lot of points most nights. But I think that's the one way that uh, that's the one thing I love about Will Wade. You know, he takes his team at the beginning of the season and really tailors his offensive and defensive game plan to what these guys will feel comfortable in, what they will excel in, and uh, what their individual talents can really show. So, uh, I mean, obviously he's found a good system for this team. I just really just think they need to straighten it out. And uh, Agreed. Yeah, I think this goes with kind of Cam's next question, too. He said, besides getting healthy, what's needed for this offense to click? <laughs> fucking shooting. <laughs> yeah, I think Adam Miller. Really just, I really think they're just going to have to start making shots. I mean, like, if you're saying X is out for the foreseeable future, I think without X, you really just need to start making some shots more. And I would like to, they haven't really showed this much. I'd like to see a little two man game, honestly, with Tari and Darius. I think I was, I, was I think that would be interesting. You know, um, you know, if you ever watched LeBron the last couple of years, LeBron has started, or Zion, whenever Zion was playing, they really started to do this thing where it's not even a really pick and roll. It's more of just an instant slip where they come up, act like they're going to set a screen, and then the ball handler, the big ball handler, LeBron or Zion, goes straight to the bucket, and then the guy just instantly slips behind him to a three-point line. So either you have to help on the drive or you have to help on the three-point guy pretty much immediately. You know, you don't have any time to diagnose it. You just kind of have to make a decision. And, um, you know, Zion did that a lot with J.J. Redick. Remember J.J. Redick on his on the team? LeBron does that with pretty much any guard that can shoot the last couple of years. He's been doing that. And I'd like to see, you know, Tari try to do it. Tari's kind of in the same mold as those guys. He's really good with the ball, get downhill really fast. He's a big body. And, uh, you know, Darius isn't J.J. Redick, but I think, I think he's a volume shooter. And I really think the more he shoots, the better he gets. I mean, this last game, he just kept shooting. They, you know, the more he kept shooting, the more they go in. And I think, I think that's what you're going to have to do to score on this, to get scoring out of this team is to just shoot more because without X, you're really not getting efficient offensive play inside and out. 
what what really sucks about X being hurt is that based off how Efton's playing and kind of based off of Tari's, I don't want to say Tari's lack of offensive rebound because he's still offensive rebounds, but we don't really have that big bruiser inside like we've had in years past with your Emmett Williams, uh, your Cavell Bigby Williams. I would kill for Cavell Bigby Williams right now, but Dar- Darius, like he's, he's our best shooter, but he's also like our best post player. So it's, it's really difficult to have him play both of those roles right now, obviously, but I completely echo you. Uh, a two-man game between Tari and Darius is kind of the only way we're going to get much offense going. I would love to see some some flare screens from Tari for Darius, where like that's kind of the first look we get offense, and then we we pass it to Tari and just kind of let him do his thing with with Darius on the other side of the wing if like the the flare screen isn't open. And we need we need to hit Tari when he flashes to the high post because if we're hitting Tari when he flashes to the high post, he's he's insane at getting downhill. And if you do that, you can kind of start setting some different back screens for Darius on his corner threes because that's where he likes to get it. And hell, Mawani's all of a sudden actually in frame and and able to contribute if you give the ball to Darius at the high post. And I wouldn't even mind seeing I wouldn't even mind seeing Darius set screens for Tari at the high post like. Run a pick and roll at the free throw line. I don't care. Like we, we have to generate some kind of offense, and I think we're doing doing ourselves a disservice by not playing through our best player. Yeah, I think Eric is would even be better off of that because, you know, at the beginning of the season he looked a lot better because he wasn't on the ball all the time. You know, he's an energetic player. He really finds the space on the floor really well when he doesn't have the ball. And so I think if you had the ball in someone else's hands and he was kind of playing off ball and he could do a lot of cutting and getting to the rim because he's really fast. I mean, he can get to the rim in an instant so he can get a cut and a pass and get to the rim. But I mean, I think the really simple answer is to make shots because as the season's gone along and teams realize we cannot make shots, they're just going to keep coming inside and more inside and more inside. And that's going to create problems with Tari and Darius trying to pound the rock inside. Because we do not catch the ball ready to shoot. We no one catches the ball ready to shoot. Maybe, maybe B. Murray and maybe Darius Days and Mawani Wilkinson. If he's in the corner, corner, yeah. But outside of that, no one catches the ball ready to shoot. So, and on to his next question: uh, Who would be your ideal starting five for us this season? Provide minute distribution. I would say like ideal starting five slash ideal closing five. Assuming X isn't healthy, Gaines Murray. I would still say Mwani. I, I like I like the way Mwani plays most of the time. Yeah. I know I know he looks gets a lot of gets a lot of flack yeah, because was, he's not a great ball handler. But I mean, you you listen to Will almost every time he talks about Mwani, he'd say how great he is on the defensive end, and he really is. He's always in the right place. Yeah. He can cut out the jumping on the three pointers, but other than that, man, he's always in the right place. He's very willing and able to switch on big guys and try to keep him out of the post and deny the entry pass, which is really great. And he's added the corner shot, so I, I'd keep him out there at the end of the games. I mean, he had a clutch shot in the A and M game, and so I see no reason to. I mean, I'm not going to put Fudge out there at this point. Fudge is. Not a shooting threat from anywhere. At least you have Amwani a threat to the corner. And then I think, obviously, you want Tari and Darius out there. I love Fudge, but he just – he doesn't have any offensive game. He's like – he's like a better, more athletic Brandon Rochelle, which – shout out Brandon Rochelle. 
Um, on to his next one, which I, I think is a good question for everyone. Can you provide some insight on some of y'all's favorite resources used for research on the pod? While you may like certain sites more than others, what stats do y'all think are overrated, outdated, overused in basketball? And then underrated uh, new advanced stats. Well, uh, I'll kind of start with with the stats question in terms of like, what are stats that I really focus on? I, I mean, I've said this a few times on this podcast as well as just other ones. To me, college basketball games always come down to, are you making free throws? Are you getting rebounds? And and really, are you letting the other team get offensive rebounds and then turnover rate? Like those, your offensive rebound percentage, both offensively and defensively, and then your turnover percentage offensively and defensively, and then your free throw percentage offensively. Um, like I, I think I think if you if you don't turn the ball over and you don't give up a lot of second chance points and you make your free throws, you will win a lot of games. And like, I, I think that's true at all levels of basketball outside of the NBA, which the NBA is its own beast. In terms of site. I, I mean, we use Ken Palm a lot just because yeah. I, I like how Ken Palm gives you uh, rates. You know, you're not just looking at who has the most assist, assist in the country. You know, you're looking at assist percentage, which is, you know, whenever this guy's on the floor compared to his team as a whole and to compare to how much time he's on the floor, how well is he doing at distributing basketball for people to get open shots? And I like that a lot more by just looking at, you know, Yuri Collins, for example, probably has a very, very high assist rate this season. And he's a very good assist player, but he just plays a lot of minutes. And so you can kind of look at other guys who may not have the ball in their hands most of the time, but are really good at finding the open shooter and stuff like that. So I'd say Ken Palm uh, really is good at giving you those percentages as to how much time they're on the floor and how well they're contributing to their team. The site I like to use a lot is uh, called CBB Analytics. And the reason I like it so much is because they give you tools to make cool like dashboards with like X, X axis and Y axis. So I, I really like that. I mean, I posted a chart the other day that was defensive rating and offensive turnover percentage. And the reason I thought the reason like I thought that graph was so crucial was because it kind of shows you what teams play good defense and and hold on to the ball. And the reason that's so important is because if you're playing great defense, chances are you're forcing a lot of turnovers. But like we've said before in this pod, LSU forces a lot of turnovers, but then they turn the ball over right again. So you're kind of negating the high turnover percentage that you have defensively. So that's why like I made a chart like that. Um, so yes, CBB analytics is, is extremely user-friendly and, and a great site. You can also look at shot charts for players, for teams to see, you know, what are some hot spots? Um, and then, you know, once you figure out the hot spots, you can start looking at, okay, well, why is that a hot spot for them? And then you start looking at like the sets they're running and you're like, okay, I get it now. They run this set because this player is money from the corner. And that's, and it's like, that's how you can kind of use analytics, like data without context is completely useless. So I, I really like those two websites, you know, Ken Palm, uh, Ken Palm's worth a subscription. Um, it's what is it like 10, $10 a year, $20, $20 for the whole year, $20 yeah, it's, for the I mean, entire it's, year. That's it's a steal. steal. Like, so I would, I'd recommend that, uh, CBB analytics, they have a lot of great free features. I haven't even bought the subscription, but I love, I love playing around, um, with their different, with their different usages, uh, you know, I'm looking at a chart right now that's usage percentage and true shooting percentage. And um, 
I, I don't think it's anyone's surprise that Zach Eady is at the top of it. Uh, so, yeah, as well as Kofi Coburn and uh, Jermaine Williams for Purdue. So, uh, yeah, uh, I would say those two sites definitely. But yeah, I think that's, I think that's all for questions. Um, you want to get into the little fun game we have for the folks tonight? Yeah, we're gonna look at uh, some of these high mid major conferences and. We're going to do a little draft and select which teams in these conferences that probably you should be paying attention to going into the rest of February and into March and could really make some noise in the tournament. I think some of these teams could even get up towards the 8-9 line or maybe even the 7 line in some of these cases. And, uh, you know, any really any team that wins one of these conferences, I think, will be a threat once they get in the tournament. Yeah, and so we're going to look at mid-majors tonight. Um, and just to kind of explain what the difference between a mid-major and a low-major, low-majors are conferences where usually it's a one-bit lead. Like once, you know, uh, the Southland, for instance, if McNeese State wins it, they get in. I don't – like it doesn't matter what any other team does. They are not sniffing the tournament. If Incarnate uh, Word wins, no one else is getting in. Exactly. Um, you know, shout-out Cam, Cam Ward, a little, little football reference, Incarnate Ward legend. Uh, he's going to tear it up this year. Taker Cam Ward, uh, 500 to 1 Heisman odds. Anyways, back to basketball. So mid-majors are the ones where you'll have multiple teams in the, in, in the tournament, potentially from this conference, and, and they didn't win their, their conference tournament. Um, so we're going to look at Conference USA. That, that's a strong conference this year. Ohio Valley Conference, there's really only two or three teams that could get in. Um, I could see potentially only one bid in this league, but we, we kind of felt it was a strong enough conference where we're going to go ahead and bump it up to a mid-major. I just Desert. I just felt that way because Murray State almost is definitely going to end at this point, and I think there's other teams in there that could definitely threaten to win the conference tournament. I mean, they can any 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 conference. I don't care who wins it. Auburn Auburn can lose in the SEC tournament. Like I mean, any any team can lose in their conference tournament. I mean, yeah, teams are literally playing for their season. Like it's it's. It's awesome. As great as great as the NCAA tournament is, I I kind of like the conference tournaments more because those teams they are they are giving it out their all. Like I I just love it. We're also going to look at the Missouri Valley Conference, which has Arch Madness. So that's very exciting. I love the Arch Madness Conference tournament in the MVC. The A10 Atlantic 10, extremely strong conference year in year out. They I mean. They're, they're a basketball mid-major powerhouse at this point. I, I love the A-10. The Mountain West. And then the WCC minus Gonzaga. We are not – neither of us are picking Gonzaga. Gonzaga is almost definitely going to be a one seed, so they yes. definitely do not count. Yes. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do a little scoring here, make it into a competition. Uh, you know, we did the competition for the Final Four draft. We also did some competition for uh, SEC Big 12 Challenge. That's – you know, that's kind of how we like to do things. It's just a little, a little small, you know, friendly competition. So what we're going to do is you get 10 points. If you win your conference tournament, you get five points. If you made your conference tournament final game, and then you get five points. If you win your regular season conference, or do you just want to do strictly conference tournament or conference regular season? I was well? just going to do the same point. If you just make the NCAA tournament, you get ten points or whatever it is. Okay. And we'll okay. do we'll do five if you uh if you make the final. 
Okay, so five if you make the final regardless, win or loss. Ten if you make the tournament. Mm-hmm. Are we going to do an additional ten for if they get a win in the NCAA tournament? I, I, I said we do multiplier. I say 10 for each win. For each round. So plus, 10, 20, yeah, 40. Yep. Okay. yep. So, all Sounds right. Good. Now that we've explained the scoring, um, I'm going to think of a number in my head, and I'm an honest man. So you can just guess one through 10. And uh, if you're closer, if you're close to it, you get it. Or, or should I do even odd? We'll do even odd. That's that's a little bit more fair. Oh, they're almost stupid. What am I? What am I thinking? All right, I have my number in my head. Guess it. Even odd. Nine for Drew Brees and Joey Burrow. It was seven, so you get it. You're good. Let's go. All right, you get first All right, pick. My first team, and and this is hard, man. I mean, because I like a lot of the teams that we're looking at, like a lot. Oh, we and know I went, you do. And I went back and forth between two of them, but man, it, it's hard to ignore the way. Wyoming's playing basketball right now. And and the main reason I'm picking Wyoming over these other teams is they have two guys who are really going to be problems offensively for any team they play really in the, in the, uh, not only their conference tournament, as they showed this week with huge wins over Boise and Colorado state. But I really think in the NCAA tournament, I really think Graham Ike and Hunter Maldonado are problems for teams specifically you know, Graham E.K. is really more of a physical download player. And I think if they end up against a team like an Illinois or something or a Kentucky, you know, he's not going to have as much an advantage over the premier big men in the in the nation. But I think Hunter Maldonado really has a chance to influence any game he's in. He's such a good ball handler. So you have to put a guard on him. But he's so good at getting smaller guys into the post and really dictating the entire offense. He knows where every, all his teammates are on the floor. He finds them at will. He's an incredible passer. And then if you don't come and help and you just leave the smaller guard on him, he will punish him. He'll put him inside the basket and he'll score. Not to mention this Wyoming team plays incredible team defense. I mean, they will lock you up for the entire game if they need to. And I, I really like this Wyoming team. I went back and forth between them and uh, another team I will not disclose. So hopefully maybe yeah. I get them next, but uh, yeah, don't disclose it. The Cowboys are really going to be a, I think I had them as an 11 seed at automatic qualifier at this point. And uh, I also took them at plus 380 last week to win the Mountain West Conference. And I mean, they're looking pretty good right now. They're tied with Boise with one loss in the conference. Okay. Uh, by the way, for our listeners at home, we are doing pretty much one one team per conference, and then we'll go ahead and pick a bonus team, which can be any conference. So Ben's Mountain West representation is Wyoming. So I get two picks here. I'm going to take a team that, you know, I, I kind of share your sentiment, multiple guys that can do things. To me, that's usually what leads to upsets. It's very rarely just one guy, unless it's an extremely special player, a la CJ McCollum. Um, so give me... The team I fell in love with this year, and I, I'm going to keep loving them with Tevin Brown and and them boys in the backcourt. Give me the Murray State Racers. This team, I love this team. Justice Hill, Tevin Brown, they take care of the ball. They they can score with anyone. Like I, I don't care who it is. They will be able to outscore them. Um, so, yeah, give me, give me Murray State out of the Ohio Valley Conference. And then for my next pick, you know, think speaking of teams that are probably going to be on that eight nine line, 
um, and teams with guys that, you know, multiple guys who can do things, guys who can spill it up. Give me the fighting Hun Jing Lees and the foster lawyers of Davidson. I got Davidson as my second pick out of the A-10. So we go to Ben. Yeah, just a comment on Murray State. Uh, you know, I, I didn't like them as much at the beginning of the season as Belmont, but the the emergence of Justice Hill, man, has really impressed me as a another scorer on this team. You know, they really already had the two stars to start the season, but him emerging as a backcourt partner with uh, Tevin Brown has really impressed me this season. And yeah, I was I really wanted to pick Davidson. <laughs> you beat me to the punch. I really wanted to pick. Was Davidson. that was that your team? Yeah, of course. I, I'm the biggest Hyung Jung Lee guy. I think if he enters the draft this year, he'll be a second round absolute steal. He has all the physical tools to be a great NBA player. I mean, like I would not say he's gonna be an all star or anything, but a very contributing NBA player. I mean, you can see him along the lines as like a. I don't know. He's just a big three and D guy. He's so smooth. I really think his defense will improve as he gets in the NBA and gets better coaching, not to knock Davidson's coaching at all, but yeah, he's extremely polished. He's really, really good. All right. Your next, you get two picks here. We're doing the dumbest snake draft ever. We're doing a snake draft with two people, but you had the number one pick. So man, uh, I think I'm going to dive into the, Conference USA right here and go with the UAB Blazers. Oh, okay. UAB. Yeah, I mean, Hot Tech has just lost too many games recently. I'm just scratching my head really what's going on in Ruston right now. I mean, they had a terrible loss the other day to FAU, but, you know, UAB has dropped a couple of games in the league now, but, and they're not leading anymore. They're down to North Texas a little bit, but man, it's, it's really hard to say no to this Jordan Walker led team, you know, He's just such a good scorer. He's so efficient, and he's really good ball handler. Not to mention Trey Jabinson, who can, you know, he's not gonna get overpowered in the post by really anybody he plays, and he's gonna keep a physical presence down low. And uh, man, I just really like them. I feel like they can score the basketball when they have to. They can play really good defense when they have to. Quan Jackson's been really good as a uh, Jordan Walker's backcourt partner this year, and even a guy like Michael Ertle has been a good bench player, a good little pop off the bench scoring wise. So yeah, I like UAB a lot this year. All right. Here's your next pick. Please don't do it to me. <laughs> Man, I'm kind of going back forward to it here, but I think I might go with Loyola. Oh no. I think Loyola just has the pedigree with, with uh, Brittany Nor- Norris and Lucas Williamson. You know, we keep talking about you kind of need two guys who can you can hang your hat on and especially scoring wise. And so I really think you can hang your hat on those guys, be able to put the ball in the basket. Brendan Norris has had some games this year. He's really gotten really hot from three, uh, especially the Vanderbilt game. I saw him this year and Lucas Williamson is, I think, really can guard anyone in America. If you go across any conference, I think you drop him into any conference. He's going to be a really good defender. And so. You know, well-coached team, Leola, they're never going to play themselves out of a basketball game. And I like Leola, Chicago. Another yeah, team a, that should get an automatic qualifier. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great pick. Um, I do, I do want to do a quick shout out um, to, to Drew Valentine, the, uh, the men's basketball coach, you know, great, great young black coach. So 
you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Drew Valentine gets a, gets a big time head coaching job in a little bit. He's only 30 years old for, for him he, to have that job. Uh, it's very impressive. And yes, well, for, that is, that is for, the brother of Denzel. Yeah. And he looks just like him, but for, for him, just to, like him. <laughs> for him to pick up right where Porter Moser left off. So effortlessly, I mean, it's like this team hasn't lost their coach at all. I mean, it's like, they just continued to do what they were doing the last couple of years. It's really impressive from him. And I do think, you know, it'll probably take a couple of years just because he is so young, but he will get a big time job at some point. He's a really good coach. Yeah. Great coach. Um, so you need guard play in March. I think this guard's just good enough and you, you need your go-to guy. And I think this go-to guy is, it's probably one of the best go-to guys in the country. He's someone that you put me on. And I, I really want to put everyone on. He's a six foot six, 255 pound brute force of a man. And he resides in Fort Collins, Colorado. It is the fighting David Roddy's and the Colorado state Rams. I, this team, you know, they had a, they had a, they had a tough loss. They've had two back-to-back losses. Um, one horrible against UNLV at home. Um, you, you can't be losing to Jordan McCabe. And then the other one against Graham E.K. and Hunter Maldonado, where Maldonado just went brazy. I mean, what, what did Maldonado have? Like 39, 37? 30, yeah, 38 or something like that. I, I mean, they did, he, they did back, bounce back tonight with a nice home win over San Diego State, 58-57. Yeah. So they're, Which, they're a little bit back on track here. Are we sure San Diego State's good? No, but they can beat any team in the Mountain West. I mean, yeah, they play good, especially, good, good enough defense, too. Especially after that ass whooping that San Diego State gave them. Uh, 30 and, points. Yeah, it was, 30, it was a 30 point slugfest. So that's going to yeah, be so my. I think they're back on track. Yeah, that's me, my Mountain West team. Um, and then for my next team, we're going to go. I don't know a lot about this team, but. Every year they're good. They they recruit internationally really well. And so I just kind of trust the process. Give me St. Mary's. So that's my WCC representative. That's not Gonzaga. Yeah, I, I was kind of going back and forth between, you know, St. Mary's. You know, they have Matthias Talos, the senior from Estonia. Like you said, they're always going to recruit well internationally. And they have another good team this year. It's a very team-oriented Ball club, you know, not a lot of guys standing out, getting 30-point games each and every night. They have a lot of guys who contribute. And uh, I actually wasn't going to go with them from the West Coast Conference. I'm actually going to go the, for the San Francisco Dons just because I think pick. they actually do have a guy who can get you 30, 35 points if need be. And that's Jamari Bouye, the senior from Seaside, California. What really impressed me was his game this year against Gonzaga, which they were actually – in for like a lot of the game. I mean, they were in that game for way longer than Gonzaga was comfortable with. They had a short halftime deficit, and then they came out in the second half, really hung around with them. Bouye finished with 25 points, and he really just never gave up in that game, kept bringing it into the post, kept challenging Timmy and um, Holmgren, went three of six from the outside. But, you know, he's had five 20-point games now this season. I think he's just going to keep it going as the – Season goes along. They have a lot of other contributors, obviously. I mean, still a team-oriented basketball team, all at St. Mary's, but I just think they have that one guy that can really put them over the top offensively. They had a, another game I'll say that I would point out with them this year was a really good non-conference win against UAB, who's another one of these teams we're looking at. And they also beat Davidson this year. 
and they uh, lost sh- short game to Loyola Chicago. So they've actually played a lot of these teams that we're talking about, and they've they've really held up against all these teams. And um, yeah, I like the Dons. I think depending on the matchup, they could win their first or second round game. I mean, it kind of depends on the matchup. You don't want a overly tall team really playing them. You don't want it like an, an Illinois or a Purdue would not be great for them. But uh, yeah, they can do things. They can they, the whole team can shoot the basketball and uh, yeah, I like the San Francisco Dons this year. It's a great pick. Also, I'm glad you brought up the San Francisco Dons because the San Francisco Dons and, and the Murray State Racers uh, participated in in one of my favorite. Uh, I think it's a it's a newer tradition where the the school of a small like a small school of a legend goes to the NBA city to play that team. So Murray State, uh, you know, John Morant, obviously with the Memphis Grizzlies now, Murray State played in Memphis this year. They beat them. And then Davidson, Steph Curry, they went to the Chase Center to play San Francisco in a in a semi-home game. So I, I like that tradition. Um, you know, I, anything for cool non-con games, you know, either play it in a middle school gym, play it at a beach, or, or play it in, in an NBA player's uh, like home backyard. So, well, well, the coolest thing I thought they did this year was both San Francisco and Loyola Chicago had a game canceled one week, and they just scheduled each other, and they played at a community college, I think somewhere in Utah or something. I mean, they didn't really care where they played. It was somehow on stadium online, and I watched it. But, I mean, it was an awesome game. It was two of the best mid-majors in the – in the country and really props to them for scheduling that game. San Francisco lost by, I think four points, but you know, I think that's great experience for both of those teams. Yeah. Agreed. So Uh, my other team, I think I'm going to go into the eights in here and really a team who's been playing really great as the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, have a guy that they can really depend on now that he's gotten reliant from the free throw line. And that's going to be the Billikens from St. Louis, you know, they have a really big game, home game tomorrow against Dayton. But I think if they streak the right way down the stretch here, that they can actually talk themselves into AQ automatic qualifier range. I mean, they're sitting, they're sitting 15 and six overall this year. They don't have any terrible losses and they're going to have the opportunity to beat Dayton, beat uh, St. Bonaventure. They have two games against St. Bonaventure, one against Richmond, one against Davidson. So they really have the opportunity to pick up some quality wins here down the stretch. They also have a road win. Let me make sure this is on the road, but I want to say they have a road win at Boise this year, which is also going to look really good on their resume. Yeah, it was at Boise. So, um, and then Yuri Collins, I think the biggest difference this year, the biggest step he's taking is he actually started making his free throws. You know, he's so good at blowing by and he's got one of the highest assist rates looking at number three in the country and assist rate. I mean, that's unbelievable. Great at handling the ball. And he's always been great at blowing by guys, but he hadn't really been able to take advantage of it because his free throw percentage. And this year he's really made a stark improvement on that. And so, uh, yeah, I like the Billikens. That's, that's a great pick. Uh, oof. All right. So you have the Ohio Valley and your wild card left, and I need to fill up my next two conferences. So I got to go Custa and Missouri Valley Conference. Yeah. By the way, just to fill it in, Yuri Collins, freshman year, 56%. Last year, 66%. This year, 82% from the free throw line. Really working on his game each and every year and making himself better. 
Oh, okay. so the Missouri Valley is kind of down this year compared to like where they where they have been in years past. I feel like usually you got five, six teams that could win the conference tournament. I think, you know, I'm I'm looking at five right now that I think it could win. I mean, I think Missouri State, Northern Iowa, Drake, and Bradley really all have the talent to any night knock off Louisville, Chicago. Okay, if Bradley wins though, it is entirely just Terry Roberts going nuclear. Which could happen. Don't don't get me wrong. Absolutely could happen. Could happen. Um, but a team that you know, they got they got two guys, and you know that's kind of that's kind of the key to this. Give me give me Missouri State. Um, you know Gage Brem from from Aurora, shout out Colorado, and then Isaiah Mosley. Isaiah Mosley can score with with anyone in the country. You know, I mean, he's got multiple forty point games this this year. Some thirty point pieces. Some you know gets he he wakes out of bed and gets twenty points. So he he had he had forty points against Loyola in a huge seventy nine sixty nine win on the road. Was eleven for fifteen from the field, nine of eleven from the free throw line, and added seven rebounds. So Isaiah Mosley can score with anyone, and he's someone where. I could easily see him taking over come Arch Madness, and I could easily see him taking over come March Madness. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Missouri State uh, does a little Sweet 16 run with behind Isaiah Mosley. And then for my CUSA pick, oh, God, this is – so I love Marshall. Um, and, and the reason I love Marshall is because I'm a Marshall, huge... you, you mean North Texas? Is huh? that who you were thinking about? Oh yes, yes, yes! I forgot Marshall's not good this year. I, I got <laughs> the them other, mixed in. No, you were thinking about the green team. I was thinking about the green team. Marshall. Well, I, I went. I went to Marshall because I love. I do love Dan. Uh, Dan Tony because he just plays a million miles an hour, and uh, yeah, just sometimes it's a million miles an hour in the wrong way. Um, but yeah, I, I am going to go with North Texas. Uh, thank you. I got my green teams confused. I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad you didn't let me just take uh, the eight and fourteen Marshall Thundering Herd, and I got to take North Texas um, because North Texas, they're back, folks. I mean, they're they're not they're not as good as they were last year. Thomas Bell returns as well as Mardras McBride. Both of those. Both of those guys had 16 in that huge win against Purdue. Um, unfortunately, they did lose. They did lose their best player um, last year. I'm blanking on his name. Ben, help me out. Uh, the point guard. Uh, uh, Javian Hamlet. No, no, no. Preston. No, no. You're now you're getting your green teams. Oh no, I'm you're thinking, thinking Ohio. Of, uh, <laughs> Ohio. Yeah, Javian Hamlet was yeah, the you're one. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, so they lost Javian Hamlet and they lost. Uh, Zach Simmons, but Thomas Bell and Mardrez McBride both have stepped up. So those, those are, those are, you know, th- they're still part of floater gang. They're still going to be floaters come March. Um, I just don't know if they're really going to get to the tournament. Um, I could see them if they win, they're probably gonna be a 13 or a 12 again. Um, if they don't, I, I don't know if they get in. What do you think? Oh, I don't think they're going to be an automatic qualifier. I mean, we're looking at their wins. Who I mean, what, UAB is their best win. Yeah, well, uh, they beat UAB, they beat Drake, they beat La Tech. That's just uh, not enough at this point. It's just, yeah, it's just it's, really it's not, not enough. So they're gonna have to win the conference. Um, I really think the only team that can get themselves in without it is UAB. I think is the only team is to be able to get themselves in without winning the tournament. 
Yeah. Which that's probably, I mean, that's UAB accurate. runs the table, and then some other team wins the tournament. I it could happen. I think I probably have UAB five or six spots out of the tournament at this point. Uh, well, for my, I have. I go, yeah, I might go with Belmont. I mean, there's there's really no other decision to make here out of the high value. I think I could go with Moorhead. I just think Belmont has the players and the team to just really get hot shooting the basketball. And, you know, that's always a great way to have an upset in March is just get hot shooting the basketball. You know, they had really the emergence of Ben Shepard this year who's shooting 39% for three-point land. And then Mazinski on the inside is really going to provide a calming presence, going to get a lot of rebounds, going to, you know, score the basketball inside. Will Richard also been shooting the ball really well for a freshman. And, uh, you know, they just have a bunch of dudes who can shoot and just they can space out the floor really well. They don't really turn over the ball that much. The, the main problem with them is just a lack of athleticism, really, and uh, rim protection. As good as Mazinski is, you know, his strength isn't really rim protection per se. So I'm, I'm going to go with Belmont, though, over Moorhead. And then my wild card, man, it, it's I think I think I have to go with Boise. They've shown too much this season to really write them off at this point. Even though they lost this last game to Wyoming, they really took them to the buzzer. And then they t- they beat Wyoming two or three weeks ago. They beat San Diego State. And I think the main thing about Wyoming is they proved they can play multiple different games. You know, they can play the 40 in the 40s rock fight. They can get up into the high 70s and score. And uh, they just have a lot of different ways to win a game. They're really, really well coached. I think that's the main thing with them. But, uh, you know, there's, they're definitely looking at automatic qualifier from my eyes at this point. They're sitting 8-1 in conference, 17-5 and overall. The main thing, if they don't get in automatic qualifier-wise, is some of these bad losses. You know, they lost to UC Irvine. They lost to Cal State Bakersfield. The other two losses are St. Louis and St. Bonaventure, which they're not going to kill them. But, you know, they've beaten all the good teams the other, the other non-conference win they have is Santa Clara, which is also a really good win. They At this point, they've beaten all the good teams in their conference who are all going to have really good RPIs and net ratings. But uh, there's a lot of basketball. We played left in Mountain West, so we'll see how they progress through the end of the season. You know, they still got games against Colorado State and San Diego State, and uh, they actually have two games against Colorado State. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But the main thing I like about Boise is their versatility. You know, they have good guards as well as good big men. Uh, they can just play a lot of different brands of basketball. I like that pick. Uh, for my final pick and my wild card pick, I'm going to go back to the A10. Well, give me the team Will Wade used to coach at. Give me VCU. Uh, defense, you know, I mean, defense plays in March. They're fourth right now in adjusted defense in the country. So, give me, give me VCU. Um, I mean, yeah, it, there's there's not much to say. Yeah, they're coming off of a horrible loss to Dayton in which they gave up 82 points. So not a lot of defense there. But I, I, I think their style is gonna is gonna play in March. And I wouldn't be surprised if they win the A10 tournament. I'll push back a little bit. I think I would pick Dayton over VCU at this point, you know. The problem Dayton- is okay, but here's my problem with Dayton. They have three losses to teams outside of the they top. Were, they were terrible to start the season. But the top 250. Casey, they, but they also UMass have wins Lowell. against 
They also have wins against Miami and Kansas and Belmont. I know, but and, and and my main thing with them over the last month, they've proven that they can. They've really steadied this shit now, and they're playing consistent basketball week to week. You know, VCU. I'm just worried about them scoring the basketball enough to win games. But I mean, as you said, defense travels. You know, they could pick off somebody. You know, like an Alabama type team that's really streaky on offense. They could hold them to under fifty and win the game. And uh, yeah, VCU has a chance. All right, you wanna you wanna do some guess the lines? Maybe get into some some Saturday picks that you're looking at before before we hit the road. Yeah, we can we can go ahead and look at some of the biggest games on Saturday. Uh, one of the first ones I was actually looking at before we started this podcast is is Illinois at Indiana tomorrow at eleven a.m. What do you think the line for that is? Indiana at Illinois? No, Illinois at Indiana. Give me Indiana two and a hook. It's Indiana one and a hook. Uh, okay. I really thought that the way Illinois has been playing lately, that they honestly should be favored in this game, especially because it's not a night game in Indiana. I feel like the crowd's just that little bit less of a factor. And, uh, I like Illinois to win this game. I just think their guards, you know, Trace Davis is kind of neutralized by Coburn, so neither of them should be able to dominate the game per se. But I really think Illinois has the better guards in this game, and they are a little streaky. But I look, uh, I look for Trent Frazier and Plummer to really get it going in this game and find a way to win on the road. All right. What about no. what about Baylor at Kansas? What you got through that? Baylor at Kansas. I'm going to say the line's going to be. I'm going to say Baylor. Baylor three. Kansas is going to be favorite. At Kansas, correct? Yeah, Kansas is going to be favorite. Yeah, I have Kansas minus two. All right. Let's look it up. Line is Kansas minus two and a half. Pretty much what I thought it would be. I mean, after that shellacking by the hands of Kentucky, you have to think they bounce back in this next big game. I mean, oh, I don't know. This this game's at four. This game's at four Eastern. Um, it's in Allen Fieldhouse. This is definitely a game you want to watch. Baylor at Kansas. This is think, this is a massive game. I just think there's a lot of question marks over really the health of this Baylor team at this point. You know. They've played a couple games now without key contributors. You know, Kendall Brown's really had to step up. Sochan's really had to step up lately. And um, I just don't know how healthy this Baylor team is to go win a road game like this. All right, that's fair. That's fair. No, they're not. Is is Akinjo still out? Akinjo played last game. But, I I mean, if it was the NBA, they would probably still listen to his day-to-day. You know, he's not completely right. He did play 38 minutes and played – Really, really well, but I just don't think he's all the way there. And uh, Flagler, Flagner, nor um, what was the other guard? Cryer, LJ Cryer. Yeah, Flagner nor Cryer played in the last game, and um, their stats is still up in the air, I believe, for this next game. Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, Kansas kind of Kansas's backs are kind of back against the wall. So I yeah, in terms they, of getting a one seed, I, I think this is a really big game for them to take a step in that direction. 
All right. We got Kentucky at Coleman Coliseum playing Bama. Um, I'm going to say Kentucky's Kentucky's favored by four in this game. Probably uh, you, you got to add a little, you got to add a point, point and a half for that, for that Kentucky Vegas juice. What do you think, Ben? I had Kentucky minus five and the line is Kentucky minus a single point. And I just wow. think, I don't know if Vegas knows what to do with this Alabama team at this point. I don't and blame them. Neither do I. I will <laughs> probably not be wagering on this game. I mean, Alabama's just way too Jekyll and Hyde, man. It's just hard to predict what they're going to do night to night. I would like to bet against them once again in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, these home games, they've played really well in some of these home games. They've played really bad in some of these home games. But their best is so high that they can beat this Kentucky team. They really can do it. And uh, I don't know. It's hard to put your money down in a game that Alabama was involved in. Yeah, I, I was. I was just about to say I wouldn't. I wouldn't touch a game Alabama plays for the rest of the season, um, unless you're just the Alabama whisperer, because it would be it would be very Alabama for them to beat Baylor, beat Gonzaga, beat Kentucky, and then also lose to a a disheveled Memphis team, a completely disheveled Memphis team, lose to Iona. Lose to Davidson, lose to Missouri, lose to Georgia, lose to Georgia, and turn I mean, around and beat Baylor. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's that's the that's the Alabama experience. So I wouldn't touch this game. Hey, see, what about what a lot of people like to call the greatest rivalry in sports? Duke at North Carolina, Coach K's last game at the Dean Dome. Uh, I thought we we're gonna thought we we're about to talk Dayton St. Louis. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean this is. K's last game in the Dean Dome, allegedly, right? Um, this, had, North Carolina, this North Carolina Duke team sucks. Too. Yeah, uh, they, they, they are coming off a really, really impressive win and uh, over Louisville on the road, which I, you know, they had to score a lot of points to win in. Really, all their wins this year, they have to score a lot of points, but really up and down basketball team. But uh, I think... They have to respect this UNC Dean Dome night crowd that's going to be ready for this Duke game. I mean, these tickets are thousands of dollars. They're really going to be hyped to be at this game. So I had Duke as a short favorite, minus two, even though I think they're clearly the better team. I think this could get to be in a really emotional game on both ends. Do you want to take a stab at where North Carolina ranks in turnover percentage for on defense? Not good. They are 357th in the country. They they have a 13.3 turnover percentage on defense. That is horrible. Uh, yeah. flip, they, they take care of the ball, so like kudos to them. But that's horrible. Yeah, I have a good friend who goes to UNC Law School right now. And the other day, he was like, imagine if LSU had Caleb Love and R.G. Davis. I was like, you know, that would be great on one end of the floor. But those guys don't guard. They do not guard the basketball whatsoever. You know, they do a great job on the offensive end. And, you know, Brady they're shooting 41 and 42% from three. Yeah, their wings are even worse. Leaky Black is pretty much the only contributor on defense on this entire basketball team. And he's a complete zero offensively. Zero offensively, but they need him out there to play just to match up against the other guys, the other team's best player. So, uh, you know, I like Duke in this game, but I think this can be really emotional. I yeah. don't want to touch it with my money, really. 
I say Duke three and a half. It's Duke. Uh, it's Duke three. Okay. Um, you want to go Texas Tech at West Virginia, Gonzaga at BYU. Yeah, let's do Gonzaga at BYU. All right. Yeah, Gonzaga at BYU in Provo, uh, 10 Eastern time tip-off. Uh, BYU's coming off of three straight losses. Their season, I don't want to, I don't want to over-exaggerate, but their season is kind of teetering on the brink here. I mean, if they want any chance of being an AQ, this is a this is a must win. Like I mean, this is this is a big game for them. So unless Alex Barcelo goes completely nuclear, I don't see that happening for them. So give me Gonzaga. I'm gonna say Gonzaga ten and a hook. I'd say Gonzaga fourteen and a half, and it's twelve and a half. So pretty much split us down the middle. You know. I think this does have the chance for being one of those weird Gonzaga road losses in conference that they seem to have every season, except obviously last season when they almost went undefeated all the way. But, you know, in years past, they do have this weird in-conference game that they lose. And I do think this is this could be an opportunity because, as you said, BYU really needs another signature win to put on their resume. And their last five, they they only have five games left after this. They play Loyola Marymount and Pepperdine each twice. And then they have a road game versus St. Mary's. Obviously the road game versus St. Mary's is going to be a great opportunity for them. But I mean, if they lose this game, then really they have to win that St. Mary's game or have to go on a run in the conference tournament really to get in. That's the only way they're going to get in. Yeah. I mean, and I still... I still like Gonzaga. I, I don't Love know if Gonzaga. I take, I don't know if I'd take Gonzaga to cover. I'd probably take maybe BYU to cover, but Gonzaga's gonna this, this BYU has, team hasn't shown me enough lately. I mean, they've lost to Santa Clara and San Francisco in the last week and a half. Got absolutely slaughtered by San Francisco. I mean, 73 to 59 really wasn't even close. You know, San Francisco didn't even shoot well in this basketball game. 38% from the four, 26% from three, but it didn't matter. BYU struggled so much. You know, they got 25 at Alex Barcelo, but really no one else is chipping in. And that's really been the problem with them all season long. And uh, man, it's, it's just hard to see them winning this game. You know, the one guy, uh, a little familiar name here for you, Casey, the one guy that I think can step up for this team off the bench and provide some scoring other than Cable Loner, who, you know, it was a big name for them coming in last season as a freshman and really didn't do much as a familiar face for LSU Tiger fans, Seneca Knight. You know, he had, didn't play a game for LSU, but he was yeah. around the program a lot, was supposed to play for them this season before he realized, uh, man, there's a lot of good players who came into this <laughs> program and I'm not going to play. But, you know, last game, they didn't have really anyone scoring the ball, so they gave him a lot of opportunities on offense. You know, he played 24 minutes, went four and nine for the four for 12 points, two rebounds, two assists. And he gave him a little bit of punch off the bench. And, you know, he's a good shooter, I think. And he's a good scorer. He's got good, uh, good instincts on the offensive end. And maybe, maybe he can chip in to help this basketball team. Yeah. Uh, Sneaka White went to Northside High School in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. So it, it was kind of not a surprise when, when he was thinking about coming back home to LSU. I can only imagine what he thinks of being, uh, at BYU, that's a little 
contrasting style. A little culture shock. <laughs> yeah, a little culture shock when you're like, oh, I'm going back home, going to Louisiana to go to LSU. And then it's like, oh, got to transfer to BYU. <laughs> so uh, he's definitely in a little culture shock there for sure. Um, you want to go UConn at Nova or Texas Tech at West Virginia? Oh, let's go UConn at Nova. I think this is a really interesting game. This is a great game. This is a great game. From the UConn side, man, their their last game was really confusing. I, I you know, at home against Creighton. I know it's a hungry Creighton team, but putting up 55 points at home, man, against a team who's not, you know, top 10 in the nation or anything in defense was really, really confounding. And that's two games in a row now where they really struggled to score the basketball for a team that really should have no trouble scoring the basketball option. They have they have a plethora of weapons in their arsenal, and there's really no reason at all they should struggle to score because they're not relying on one guy to stay hot. They have so many guys who can have the hot hand. And so it's, it's really confusing. And, you know, maybe they wake up, maybe it takes them a big game. They've played their best in big games actually this season offensively. So maybe it takes a big game like this for them to really get locked in on the offensive end and get going. Uh, I have the line at Nova minus two and a half at home. I probably have too much respect for UConn, but. See, I think Nova or they're complete and utter frauds, and I don't like to use that word, but I, I just in terms don't. of national title contenders. Uh, yes, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. I, I think I should clarify that they are still a very good Big East team, but they're not a national title contender. Like this is not your Josh Hart, uh, Chris Jenkins, Ryan Archdiaco, Jalen like. This is not them. Like this is, this is not them. Like Justin Moore and Colin Gillespie are fine players. They're really good players. I I think their biggest problem is on the inside. They get, they get. They're not physical enough on the inside. You know their center. Uh, I mean, what their their center's name is Dixon, Eric Dixon. You know he's only six eight, two fifty, and he really gets. You know, he's only averaging six rebounds a game this season. He's playing 26 minutes a game. He's really getting dwarfed down low, really not being able to be a rim protector. And I think that's really been their biggest problem is they kind of get out physical in some of these games. Yeah, 100%. I, I'd say I'd say Nova four, though. Uh, Vegas and the national media kind of do love Nova. So give me Nova four. Yeah, it's Nova five. At, you're right. Vegas always loves Nova. I, you know, I... I still like UConn as a sleeper final four threat. I just think they have all the tools. They have all the players to really put it together and, you know, put 80 points into a NCAA tournament game. So I think I have a little bit too much respect for them at this point. Yeah. And we'll do uh we'll do one more here. We'll do Texas tech at West Virginia. Um, I, I want to talk about Texas tech because I said it on the last pod, Texas Tech is a basketball school. Did you see that fucking crowd? That was awesome. I loved every second of that. Uh, I was I was hating Chris Beard, too. I don't even have any affiliation with him. Um, give me Texas Tech home uh, – home, uh, not home favorites, Jesus Christ. Road favorites. Uh, Texas Tech – I'm going to say Texas Tech two and a hook as well. Um Hockey said, Bears, hockey Bears, kind of struggling. 
Yeah, this would be a great game for them to win to kind of turn their season around a little bit. I had Texas Tech as a four and a half point road favorite, and they are a five point road favorite. Jesus. In Morgantown, I just it's hard for Vegas not to change on these Texas Tech Red Raiders. I mean, they're playing such good basketball, and I think if you haven't really paid attention to the whole Chris Beard Texas Texas Tech thing, I think for Louisiana people, the most you can relate it to is Nick Saban going to Alabama and then coming back that first, we all remember that first game he came back to LSU and what it was like. That's how that Texas Tech game was at home for them against Chris Beard. You know, Chris Beard has really brought them into much like Nick Saban, it really brought them into the national spotlight as a basketball school. And then, you know, Nick Saban went to the NFL, but this is even worse. This would be like if Nick Saban immediately went to Alabama right after winning the national champ or not winning the national, but you know, getting LSU to prominence, you know, he kind of went through the NFL route and came back, but that's what that kind of hostility was like. And it was, it was was really awesome to see, you know, Texas tech has really embraced this basketball program. And for good reason, this team plays so hard for their coach and for each other. And uh, I actually took Texas tech on a future to win the national championship this past week. I just think they have all the intent outside of talent. They have all the other intangibles about their team that you'd like in uh, national title threats. Yeah. And what was, what was the odds you got that at? I want to say I got that at plus 3,800. Wow. What would you, what would you take it up to? Let's see. Let's see what it is right now. Let's see. I got, Texas Tech, yeah, at plus thirty eight hundred. I would, t- I would still take it today. I mean, let's see what it is right now. But I would, I just, you're looking at plus three thousand now. I mean, I would, yeah, I, mean, I would still, still jump on that. Now. I think they just have everything you need. I, just, I don't know. I love their coaching. Uh, they're playing hard on defense. They're pounding the rock to the rim. They're really physical basketball team and they have just enough talent, I think, to hang with anybody. Yep. They showed it in that road Kansas game. I mean, they showed they can go anywhere, anytime, play any team in the country and really hang with them for the entire uh, 40 minutes. Agreed. What game, uh, before we get out of here, what game are you most looking forward to Saturday? It's got to be Kansas and Baylor. Just just to see if Kansas can, you know, really get back to playing an elite opponent and really play the way that they're supposed to. You know, like by you missed their midweek game against Iowa State. They really showed really great mental toughness to come out of that road win, even without their best player with a win. Christian Braun really stepped up. You know, I talked about him in the past, but he's becoming one of my favorite players in the country just because of his savviness and, you know, mental IQ on the basketball court. And, Getting a buy back in this game is going to be really big. And uh, I expect them to win this game. This is a home game. This is really to take a stranglehold in conference against a Baylor team that's not fully healthy. I really think they should win this game. And if they're, you know, going to win this conference, they need to win this game. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the obvious, that's the obvious one, right? Uh, I'm going to go with the other obvious one. Give, give me Kentucky at Bama. This Bama team's just so Jacqueline Hyde, like you said, that's the perfect way to describe them. So uh, I, I wanna, I'm really intrigued with that Bama game. Um, and again, we don't talk Duke on this podcast. We don't, we don't want to talk Duke. We don't want to talk about the ACC. 
the ACC right now out of the power six conferences per Ken Palm is ranked the least. Uh, so, so they're the least best conference right now. Um, there really isn't much reason to talk about the ACC. Duke's good. Um, I don't think this is one of their better teams. Paulo Bancaro, he's a hell of a player, but for the other for the other guys, I, I don't. I'm not really. I'm not really that impressed by Duke, but I mean, it's still Tobacco Road. It's still Coach K's last game, so obviously that's going to be a good game to watch. It's going to be a massive basketball game. I will say a sleeper game that you should probably be looking at Saturday is this Dayton and St. Louis game. As I said earlier, I think St. Louis is really streaking towards the opportunity of maybe grabbing an automatic qualifier to be a big win over a 15 and seven Dayton team at home. And uh, St. Louis always plays great at home, especially on Saturdays. Agreed. Anything else you want to tell the listeners before we go? Uh, I, I have I have one more thing. Go ahead. Just want to show, shout out all the listeners. Uh, you know, shout out anyone that that rates, subscribes, downloads, uh, shares with friends, interacts with us on Twitter. So uh, just the special shout out to them. Um, special shout out to the random guy or girl listening in Belgium. Uh, I don't know if that's real, but if it is, shout out to you. Um, and also you know we just made we just made a uh a twitter uh it's at capital o on capital t v capital l line uh ncaa all capitalized on twitter so uh give us a follow we're gonna we're gonna use that twitter to kind of live tweet some games you know post, post some the episodes on there yeah. now so, well, we're still going to post uh, episodes on our personal account and, and some different interactions on the personal account as well. But we're definitely going to start funneling uh, more traffic to that. Um, and also, we're working on a new logo. I'm working on the website. Um, yeah, so uh, big things coming for On the Line. So we really appreciate all and uh, any support that, that you guys and girls give us out there. Uh, really means a lot. Yeah, uh, everyone have a great week and enjoy this great basketball weekend. Uh, this is kind of an impromptu rival week of sorts. I think in basketball this week with Duke and North Carolina and Kansas and Baylor and Bama and Kentucky to some extent and should be a great, great weekend of basketball. Hopefully LSU can get back on the right foot this week on the road in Nashville. Absolutely. Well, stay safe. God bless. And uh, thank you again. See ya.